Ahoy, Spoleto Backstage listeners. Welcome to our fourth in the series of podcasts and probably the hottest so far. It's been a sticky soup here in Charleston, South Carolina. Very humid, very hot, very exciting. But so is this podcast, right? And on tap, we have perhaps our hottest and coolest guests so far. I'm Adam Parker with Charleston Post and Courier and your host. We only have two interviews in this particular episode, but my, 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 are they good. Uh, We will be speaking with Brendan O'Hay, director of Shakespeare's Globe. But first, we speak with Chris Thiele, mandolin player with the fastest fingers ever and a frontman of Punch Brothers. Uh, We are sitting here in the dark depths of Randolph Hall behind the College of Charleston cistern yard where few have gone before. And I'm thrilled to be sitting here right now in this green room, which actually isn't green. No, uh, really. With Chris Thiele. More like beige, isn't it? Beige. And there's food on the table for you to <laughs> chow down on before your gig tonight. Except I'm full of of, of, of good Charlestonian fried chicken right now from oh, really? Leon's. Where, where did oh, yeah. you eat? Got, got it. Oh, Leon's. Leon's. You know Leon's fine yes, poultry I and oysters. <sighs> yeah. It's <laughs> so good. Yeah. So this is what, your fourth time in Charleston, Chris? Oh, I mean, it, it'll be more than that. This town and I, I get along famously, I feel like. Uh, I, I even actually came down here during, during sort of a period of... of of singlehood uh, with with one of my best friends, um, another fellow who lives up in New York, and and the two of us came down here just to basically live it up. And so now every every time I walk around, I'm, I, I feel like I see yeah exactly I see I see the, the the ghost of these two rapscallions that we that we once were. <laughs> that was a few years back. It was well, I just I just officiated that guy's wedding actually. Did you? Okay, <laughs> right. Things change, and, Things and you're change. married with a, a child, right? Yes, exactly. So, uh, but Charleston seems to inspire you. You write songs, and you like to come perform here. But you've written a couple of uh, Mint Julep was yeah, a exactly. Charleston song, right? Exactly, yeah. Our song Julep was 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 written here, and 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 actually stems from that little uh, brocation that I just mentioned, where <laughs> Moosey and I had this thing. You know, you know all all of your incredible your, your sort of side your side porches here, yes. the, the, the the houses that look Piazzas. to me like they're they're side yeah they're sideways uh, on their lots, which I I love. Moosey and I had this thing where basically we, we just made a rule for all of you that, that you, you can only consume juleps on those porches. And, <laughs> and that well. actually sort of, I would, that, that, was, that was in my head lyrically for, for whatever reason. I just met my wife actually and it was a, a backyard barbecue situation that was designed for us to meet. It was a setup and, oh. and, uh, and she wanted to make juleps. And um, I brought the bourbon and, and she had the rest of the... Okay. The ingredients, and so that was that was this sort of that was the first thing that we did, and and so then then when the boys and I were working on that record, Phosphorescent Blues, uh, one of our first writing sessions was here in Charleston, because mm-hmm. uh, and actually following a Spoleto Festival show. You just stayed behind. We and just stayed. You, yeah, we and, stayed because we knew we already knew we loved it, and in fact, it was the it was the the first time we ever played Spoleto was at the Cistern. Yes, I and, remember. I was there, and it was it was one of these formative Punch Brothers ex- shows for us. We we felt like oh my gosh, we're a real band. Like look at all these people in this. Yes. In this beautiful space, and and they seem to like our music, and we had this this. We should take this seriously. Yeah, yeah. We had this Write we had this amazing songs. hang afterwards, and and that was in our heads when when it was time to make this new record, and and so we, so we rented out rented out this place, and and wrote here for a week, and 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 much of Julep was composed during during that. That's cool. That time, and and a lot of our song My Oh My was written during the sound check on the show that preceded that writing session, and I mean, who knows what's going to happen today at sound check? <laughs> right, and who knows what'll happen after this? That's right. All right, and maybe you'll stick around. I think a great deal of oysters. 
Uh, exactly. That's a good, good, good idea. Very good idea. Um, speaking of songwriting, though, I want to try to get into your head a little bit and figure out how you do that. Oh. Uh, so you, uh, you do, do you do most of the writing and bring it to the band? Is it a collaborative approach with Punch Brothers? Very, very collaborative uh, for the Punch Brothers material. Especially this last record, our, our, uh, All Ashore, was that was the most collaborative the writing process has ever been. The boys even started getting a little bit more involved in the lyrics mm -hmm. on this last one. I, I mean, I still would kind of do it, but they were far more emboldened editorially. I see. Uh, and, and which was which was great. Yeah. Uh, you know, the minute I got I kind of got like that that first. Wait, I spent a lot of time on these lyrics. That like the minute I got I got that out of my system, it kept making the lyrics better. And and I, I would like to think of myself as pragmatic. Yeah. Uh, creatively speaking, and, and well, and, and it's good to give up something you create too and share it and then it becomes something else oh, well, you know? that's yeah. the whole that's the whole point of actually even just releasing it into the world um exactly that process ends up being collaborative as well but but the music since the band began or at least for the second the second record anti-fogmatic at that point all the music that we write has been written collaboratively mm -hmm. and, and um you know maybe maybe someone shows up with a with a a, a kernel that we that we pop together but but you know and sometimes it's actually just from nothing so what would we collectively like to hear <laughs> well i heard you perform at the savannah music festival just a couple months ago and uh, i think it was the last official concert of your tour yeah that's right and it was a terrific show you, you did a lot of stuff from all ashore yeah and i was really struck by how your songwriting you collectively uh, has is maturing and becoming so sophisticated. I really Aww. kind of thought of these songs as little mini compositions with Thank all you. this stuff going on that you're calling songs because I guess you have to call them something and so, put yeah. a title on it and everything. Right, and if we called them like movements or something, it would just seem so... I guess, I guess. <laughs> but you are an eclectic guy with a classical music element to your interests in playing and performing. Yeah, but I, I think, I just, I feel like when you sit down and write something, you shouldn't, you shouldn't try and force it to conform to any existing template right. unless that's what the idea wants to you know, want unless the idea is saying, "Hey, I would, I would really be." I need a I verse really, and a chorus. Yeah, and exactly, a verse and a chorus, exactly. Yeah. I would really benefit from verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus out. Yeah. You know, and 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 sometimes, sometimes that happens. Nothing wrong with that. No, no. But increasingly, the boys and I, I think, I think maybe we're just a little more interested in in what in what happens if we just again just sort of close your eyes. Kind of open open your your hive ear and like what what kind of stuff is bouncing around in there that you that you would like to listen to that yeah. you can't listen to right now because it doesn't exist yet. Well, it comes through and it's wonderful. Uh, you know, I've seen you perform here in Charleston. I think three or four times. I remember one show you came to the Charleston Music Hall and you played a lot of Bach yes. and a few other things. And it was a solo show and your fly was undone the whole time. Yes, you remember the that? whole time. Oh, I remember it so yeah. vividly. Like it's a, it's um. <laughs> Yeah, it's just one of those. Uh, you know, and I, I think I'm a few people noticed, but they didn't I, really want to say anything. Oh, what are you going to do? You're sitting there, Chris. Chris, wave your hand. Exactly. I don't know. No, no. And in a very serious show, you, you imagine this. Imagine this guy playing, playing. You know, all of a sudden, like 20 minutes of unbroken, you know, box. Some of the greatest music ever written with his fly just down, just down. Right. And um, and embarrassingly, that was the second time that it happened on that tour. Really. And on the same tour. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Tell you why. So if if I don't know if you remember, but there was like a, a song that started the show that that had a brand new Charleston specific lyric. Yes, mm -hmm, I do remember. And so I was doing that for every show on that tour in in preparation for becoming the host of you know what has become live from here. 
you know, knowing that I'd set myself this task of writing a new song for every show, show every week. And right. so, yeah, every week. And so I thought, well, I have this like sort of musically, I feel completely up to that task. Lyrically, though, I've just not had to do that on demand very often. Right. And so I, you know, I felt like I need to get my ge spontaneous generation powers up. So I was writing those lyrics uh, each day in the car, like on the way to the next gig or on the plane, whatever it was, like thinking about the town I was going to. And oftentimes the, you know, the last little bits of that lyric was happening right before the show in those moments where maybe one is checking one's fly to make sure <laughs> it should be. it's up. It's like actually, you know, working on the very last line of that new that new lyric okay. um so it happened yeah it happened actually well, two times on that tour have a very good excuse <laughs> i have to say um so another question for you um and forgive me for prying but in 2012 you were the recipient of a macarthur fellowship right yes <laughs> uh six hundred twenty-five thousand dollars no strings attached. 500, 500 back then. Oh, 500 uh, yeah, yeah, they, back they, then. they amped it up. They made it really, really cool the I year see. after. I got, no, I'm kidding. So, so, <laughs> so what have you done with the money? <laughs> well, I bought a nice mandolin. Good. Oh. Um, bought a nice mandolin. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the West, the rest just sort of frittered away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, <laughs> put it on mint juleps. Put it in the video. Yes. Oh, yes. Certainly some <laughs> of it was spent on, on, uh, on fine juleps. Uh, no, I, I you know, kind of goes into the, it keeps the wolf uh, at the door and not barging through the door. As a musician, you're never quite sure where the money is going to come exactly. from. So that was, that was, uh, yes. that was quite nice. So live from here, I mean, you've really found your rhythm. You know, you're, you're, you're there now. You've arrived. You have oh, this terrific. Thank you vibe and show and it, the it's it's a it's a great it's a great live music show Thank and you're you traveling so around and you're doing it in all these great venues these terrific concert halls and uh, but you've never done one of those see if you did one of those with your fly down it wouldn't matter right it's radio exactly that that's that you're, you're absolutely right or like for instance i see these videos back of the show and and, and my hair is just always a, it's just a disaster it doesn't matter it not that it ever isn't <laughs> A disaster, but just that I see the videos that they're putting online afterwards and going, someone told me I was the host of a radio show. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. So you've played with a lot of amazing musicians on that show regularly, but also guests that come in and tour. And uh, ha have you ever sort of had an encounter with somebody that was just completely life-changing, uh, musically yeah, or uh, otherwise? Uh, I mean, many, many at this point. It's, it's one of the reasons uh, I, I just really... <laughs> Hit the lottery with that gig, but one one thing that springs instantly to mind is the novelist, or the not novelist uh, necessarily. He's only actually written one novel, but the author George Saunders. Oh yeah, um, Syracuse was, University. Exactly. Yeah, he was yeah. he was on the show. As far as you know, my personal role models are concerned, he's you know, one it, of them. But yeah, he's. It's like that's interesting. Him and Roger Federer and and. Uh, <laughs> You know, maybe Tom York, this. as far as far as like people who are alive right now, yeah. you know, Gillian Welch would be up there. Uh, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of people, uh, but but he's he's definitely way up there on the list, and not necessarily someone I thought I might, th I thought I would run into. You know, he's run into he's a he's an author. I'm That's a the musician. Of you never show. know. So, uh, but somehow somehow someone put us in touch. I reached out, and he he wrote right back. I'd love to do it. And um, wow. and so we did uh, we did what ended up being like a 15 minute reading from Lincoln and the Bardo his his first and so far only novel and I got to kind of score it we kind of acted it out so you know it's a, the the novel almost reads like a play yeah and, it's and a series of scenes exactly you know, a constant 
so that was pretty life changing for me, getting to collaborate with with someone who who exists sort of outside of my natural sphere right. of collaborators, uh, and that kind of thing continues to happen in a way that that is just. It's very delightful. A show for like me. that will do that for you, I guess. Yeah. Just introduce you to amazing people. Plus, being able to be in the listener's chair more often than my career had had uh, necessitated. Yes. You know, or, or I mean, obviously, I listen to tons of music, but I do so as someone who is planning to create music. And the listening experience is almost like the gym is for an athlete. It's like I'm I'm seeking to improve myself. I'm pumping iron. It's like here I'm listening to this because I wanna I wanna improve my grip on structure, song form or yeah. counterpoint or harmony or melody or whatever it is. And now a significant component of my listening life is devoted to to just considering whether this is bringing me joy. Mm. Is it improving my life? Is this is this good? Not whether it's going to make my music better. <laughs> but whether it's satisfying <laughs> in some deep way. But whether it makes my life better. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's great and a, and a great way to wrap up this interview. Thank you so much. What's next for Punch Brothers? Oh, well, we've been talking, about, talking a lot about that, actually. We've had a... This is fun. We're towards the tail end of the All Ashore experience here where... Uh, we, we feel like we know what that record is and maybe where it's pointing. I, I, think, I think we're starting, the, the sounds of the next record are starting to percolate in our collective inner ear. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's time to start planning the writing sessions. And, and okay. um, hopefully another one will be here. That was fruitful the last time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, it'll be interesting now. Everyone, you know, people are starting to have children and things like that. So it's Bring it be along. a little less raucous. Maybe than, you should than that one rent was, a beach house this time, though. I like that yeah, idea. That's good. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, well, uh, thank you very, very much, Chris Thiele, for talking with us. It's been a great pleasure. And welcome back to Charleston. Hope to see you again soon. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Chris. Well, as you heard, Chris is the host of the radio show Live From Here, which can be heard on South Carolina public radio stations at 6 o'clock on Saturday nights. Next up is Brendan O'Hay. If Shakespeare were alive today, he would surely find inspiration in the American South, don't you think? With its shipwrecks, its piracy, its history of slavery, the blue bloods, the love of bourbon and good food. Well, we have the next best thing. Brendan O'Hay is director of Shakespeare's Globe, and he comes to Charleston with an interesting trio of plays and an interesting format. Brendan is an actor, a director, and an all-around swell guy. Welcome. For Spoleto Backstage, I'm Adam Parker with The Post and Courier, and I am sitting here with Brendan O'Hay, who is the director of Shakespeare's Globe, the traveling director, the tour director. Yes. Is that right? Yes, yes. And, uh, and you're in charge of not one Shakespeare play, not two Shakespeare plays, three Shakespeare plays at Spoleto Festival, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But first, have you noticed that there are a lot of shipwrecks in all these Shakespeare plays? Oh, yes. Like, play after play, there's a shipwreck. What's yes. the deal with the shipwreck? The way we put these three together was th there's something about um, what the Globe has been doing in the last uh, two years under the aegis of the brilliant Michelle Terry, who's our new boss now at Shakespeare's Globe, is thematically, she wanted to have, um, she's got what's called Refugee Week. So last year it was a huge success and she's doing it again this year. And she said she, she'd like kind of three plays to reflect Refugee Week. Also, I mean, 
dare we go into politics, but one has to have some Unless. kind of... Re- well, <laughs> one has to have some response to, to, to Brexit. And um, I don't mind saying that I'm, I'm a, an ardent Remainer because I, I, I'm passionate about multiculturalism and, and otherness and celebrating other people's otherness. So all these three plays deal with shipwrecks and people being washed up on foreign shores and trying to assimilate themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what they all have um, in common. And as a result of that, then the extension of that, um, I'm based on my teaching of predominantly international actors, um, uh, young students, and traveling the world. Um, I've been to Russia and China and Taiwan and Hollywood Bowl where I've performed Shakespeare. And to know that Shakespeare is an international language, um, we've got we've got a predominantly international company. Yes. So we've got two Brits, we've got Lithuanian, American Armenian, an Australian, a South African, uh, and two Irish actors. Wow. And there's, there's a real kind of wonderful mixture of accents. So and it Shakespeare's works. globe ain't what it used to be. Well, well I think so. Yes, <laughs> In a good it, way. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's wonderful. Because it is an international language and we want to celebrate that. But the shipwreck also metaphorically is a kind of transition, right? Yes. You, you enter from one realm yes. and you go through this trial, this, this difficult storm, yes. and you end up exiting in some unknown, mysterious place. Yes. And then you have to figure things out from there. Yes, yes. So it's a kind of rite of passage in Shakespeare. That's right. And all those three plays reflect that. And um, as you correctly said, there's, there's a few others. Certainly The Tempest is a shipwreck, one mm-hmm. of others. I mean, they, yes. But, but, and even Othello, at the beginning of Othello, there's a big storm at sea. Of course, of yeah. course, of course. Yeah, that's good. I mean, Pericles I was very nervous about because there, there's about 60-odd characters and with eight actors, that's a... That's a real pea super to kind of, uh, as we used to say uh, in England. Um, but um, it's a tricky one to get across with eight, eight characters. But I think we're I think we're doing it. I think we're doing it. We should probably clarify that Shakespeare's Globe is is uh, presenting three different Shakespeare plays: yeah. Pericles, Twelfth Night, That's and right. the Comedy of Errors. That's right. And they're using one large cast and one small cast, eight 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 actors actors to play all these multiple parts. That's it. Uh, Several of the productions are specific. You know what you're going to do, which play you're going to do that evening. Yes. But uh, several of them are audience choice. Yes. So how are you going to manage... That the, basically, the audience is going to take a vote for which of the three plays they want to see. That's ex- are that's you afraid that not enough of them are going to choose Pericles? Um, not afraid, because there there are places. For instance, I, you've got it programmed here, which I think is is really really good. For me, I think it's probably the greatest play you've never seen, or, or arguably, or certainly in in my opinion, the greatest Shakespeare play you've never seen. Hmm. We, we we did it in Chillum, and we did it. We've just we've done two performances of it: one at Chillum, one at Shakespeare's Globe, which is um, a place in Kent. And what happened at the end of Chillum? I mean, I mustn't build up people's expectations too much. But what happened was was people sat through the play and they watched it. And there was a, a and it's very very rarefied and there's very it's very middle class and people are rather reserved. And after the play finished, there was a pause and then this roar went up from the audience. And I'd never heard, experienced anything like it. This was this was in Chillum, and I thought. Oh, well, obviously, it's clearly this direction is so marvellous on my part that that's where they, that's <laughs> right, where they've completely fallen For up. sure it was that. But I think it was the audience discover, discovering a great Shakespeare play mm. for the first time. It's that, an early play, right? It, it, it's not. It's a, uh, people thought it was, but oh. it, it's, it's one of the late, the four late Shakespeare's. And they all deal thematically the same. So, for instance, the Cymbeline, Tempest, Winter's Tale and Pericles. Yes. And they're known as the, 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 the four last plays, really. I think he wrote a few more collaborate, collaborative plays after that. Um, and and there's some debate about... How 
how much of it Shakespeare wrote. That's right. The first two acts, they think, were written by a chap called George Wilkins, who was a, a bit of a rogue and uh, owned an inn. Uh, um, and, and you can kind of tell the first two acts are quite tricky. We need it for plot. But there's a lot of doggerel in there mm-hmm. and um, uh, it's, it's, it's not the best of writing. So we, I've thinned a little bit of that out. Um, but although Shakespeare, you can tell us, or arguably people say that you can tell he has a hand in those first two acts. There's a wonderful scene with a fisherman. Um, and yet there's, there's fun to be had in them. And then you just, you just hear then Shakespeare kick in about kind of 35 minutes in, 40 minutes in, which is just fantastic. And it ends happily. Yes, and they're known as a comedy. So it's a comedy. Yes. Even though it's about this very serious Greek figure who created Greece, yes. the Republic. Yes, right? I think it's loosely based on loosely, him. I think of course, because just... it's really about love and... All of that. Love, loss, redemption, um, bringing about resurrection. Again, with all those last four plays, Shakespeare, um, um, Cymbeline and Winter's Tale, Tempest, etc. And in all three of your plays that you're presenting here, there are love interests and confusions and identity questions yes. and all kinds of things going on, the love triangle. Yes. So uh, talk a little bit about that. Well, well, it's just—I mean—that that that Shakespeare, isn't it? I've I've really—that is Shakespeare. It, 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 it's it's kind of all in there. I've kept the casting of uh, Pericles and Comedy of Errors fairly straight in that in that or, or, or conventional in that the, the men tend to play the men's parts and the women tend to play the women's parts. But I've really thrown thrown it up in the air with Twelfth Night because that's so it's so gender fluid that play and it's so yes. liquid in its in its identity. So I've really kind of played around with it and and I think people kind of question it to begin with but hopefully I they'll go along with that ride uh, and it's a very Elizabethan practice to have men playing women's parts so the logical extension is to have women playing men's well, parts. Well you know to, to that point this is one of the, the, the lead characters in Twelfth Night a woman who dresses up as a man That's right. and passes as a man and of course uh, a woman falls in love That's with right. her him yeah. Yeah. and uh, so there are all these questions but when you think about the Elizabethan period that part was almost certainly played by a man. Yes definitely. And that adds an interesting twist yes. to this whole question of gender. Well, that's right. Which the, seems especially appropriate right now. Well, exactly. So I do I do have a, a wonderful, Lithuanian, an extraordinary Lithuanian actor called Andrews who's playing Olivia and a wonderful American actor playing Viola. So what you get for that is, is a very, I would argue, a very Elizabethan experience of the undercurrent of something that's vaguely homoerotic and, and yet isn't. It just dances on the edge of that, mm-hmm. which, which I find find uh, uh, very exciting and gives an extra free song to it. So I think that's rather interesting. Um, Yeah, and I let the audience judge that. And you you have to, when you've only got eight actors, and and to make that doubling work, you just just have to think, well, I have to have a woman playing that man's part, because that other person is playing on stage. I guess, right, there are certain logistical challenges that have to be solved. Exactly. And so some of of your dramatic decisions are made accordingly. Uh, Of course. Well, talk a little bit about the logistics. I mean, you have eight actors, three plays, lots of things going on, juggling, a little uncertainty thrown into the mix because you don't know always which play you're going to be doing uh, on any given evening. So how do you, as a director, how do you manage all of this? Uh, What what the audience choice? The the, the, The the, whole thing. I mean, it's an an unusual uh, scenario. It it, it is. And it's, again, it's Michelle Terry artistic 
director of, of the Globe, her idea w- behind it was that it was a very Elizabethan practice. So the the, the, the actors would have done the um, plays in the in the summer season, the outdoor space, the Globe, and then they would have gone on the road in the winter season just to kind of keep their finances up. And and they would have gone into different households or, or inns. And the person in these households, the, the, the top dog, or the, whether it's the Countess or the Duke or the King or God knows whoever it was, would have had the say of what play they would have liked to have Got seen. Right. And they think they probably would have had between 12 and 14 plays up, up their sleeves. Uh, alas, we're not taking 12 or 14 around the world. We're, take, we're taking three. So it's it's left to the the most powerful person in the household to, to make the decision what play they'd like to see that minute. So so that's what we're therefore doing. So th- that's what the audience choice idea is based based on. There and people go. think it's a setup. And I I, I can't stress enough. Um, it it really really isn't. So everything is laid out backstage for <laughs> it's all systems go. And the moment the audience decide, they're off. And the way they're brains have to work. They yeah. have to compartmentalize yeah. these things because, and because there are similarities shared yes. between these plays too. Well, that's right. That's right. So they have to get their brain in the right slot. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But what's wonderful about it is the audience are therefore making the show. The audience have a hand in in who decide, in what the play will be. Um, and what's, what's lovely, I suppose my initial anxiety is people would be disappointed but people are going away going, well I didn't expect to see Comedy of Errors, I wanted Twelfth Night, but I'm so glad I did. So uh, th- that's added something extra as well. Right. So people are incredibly open hearted to it. And of course, just a reminder for those who do want to see a specific play, you can do so. They're yes. programmed that way as well. In the exactly. Festival. Exactly. Well, congratulations on all the successes and uh, and have fun and break a leg at Spoleto Festival USA Pleasure. with these three plays. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Brendan O'Hay. It's a pleasure, Adam. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, Brendan. Well, listeners, you will have multiple opportunities to see all three plays, Twelfth Night, The Comedy of Errors, and Pericles. Twelfth Night has three more performances in the festival. Comedy of Errors, two more. Pericles, two more. But then the Audience Choice events, there are, I think, five of those left. Uh, So go to spilettousa.org to get dates and details and all of that if you want. I know you've all been waiting for the events calendar, our suggestions here. Well, here it is. You might be interested in checking out I'm With Her, especially if you're a Punch Brothers fan. Uh, I'm With Her is a trio of women, and they're playing at 9 o'clock on Saturday, June 1st in the Cistern Yard. It'll probably still be really, really hot, but oh well. Uh, If you want to see something indoors, try Westminster Choir at 5 o'clock Saturday, June 1st at St. Matthew's Lutheran Church. Uh, A couple more ideas for you. A very innovative and interesting play called The Fever. It's lots of secrets. They're not telling us very much about it. So you go and tell me what you think. 7 o'clock, June 4th, Tuesday. And finally, another play, What Girls Are Made Of, at 8 o'clock, same day, Tuesday, June 4th. Uh, What Girls Are Made Of is sort of a, a, a hybrid of theater and rock and roll. Can't go wrong there. Spoleto Backstage is a production of South Carolina Public Radio. The producer is A.T. Shire. Project director is Sherry Hutchinson. Special thanks to Jesse Bagley and Jenny Willett of Spoleto Festival USA. The production is made possible by the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. Original music is by Nick Jenkins. 
Special thanks to College of Charleston for hosting interviews and to the Gilliard Center for accommodating this cool makeshift studio. If you want to hear us every time the podcast comes out, subscribe to NPR One, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or visit thepostandcourier.com or southcarolinapublicradio.org or go to wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us, please, please, please. For Spleto Backstage, I'm Adam Parker of The Post and Courier.